Well, this morning I'd like to uh, preach the gospel to you because I find that uh, the gospel is really the answer to all of our problems. And uh, we're going to look out of here out of uh, Psalm uh, 22. And, you know, there is a, uh, a lot of talk going around today about suffering. Uh, no doubt several people are suffering. Um, just primarily because of a result of this virus. We have people that are suffering because there's been loss of, of job. Um, there's people that are suffering maybe because they are in the hospital. Maybe people are suffering because uh, there has been deaths. But we must remember something that's very important, and that is the fact that suffering is a result of sin. And it is sin that has left its mark on the world because of man's disobedience to a holy God. Also, we must not forget that not only has God planned all of this, but he also will receive glory from it. Revelation 4.11 reminds us of this this way. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. All things? Yes, all things, including viruses. And by your will they existed and were created. Does man suffer? Yes, we do. In fact, Job said of man in Job 14.1, This man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. So where do we find hope in the midst of suffering? Where can we find faith when we are faced with fear? Well, it is looking none other than at Christ, who is our suffering Savior. This is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Look to Christ as an example in times of suffering and uncertainty. Look to Christ as an example in times of suffering and uncertainty. Our text here in uh, Psalm 22, uh, and I'm going to plan on Psalm 22 today, uh, Lord willing, next week, Psalm 23. And I, I think everyone loves the promises of Psalm 23, right? We all love, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. We all love that. But we really don't understand Jesus as our shepherd until we understand Jesus as our suffering Savior. So let's dive into this fantastic passage here in uh, Psalm 23 and see what uh, God's Word has to say about Jesus being our suffering Savior. So number one, the first thing that I want you to notice about this is that Christ suffered on the cross for our salvation and God's glory. Christ suffered on the cross for our salvation and God's glory. Now this psalm here that uh, David wrote, no doubt David wrote this psalm in a time of uncertainty in his life. More likely it was a time when he was being pursued by Saul. Uh, there was a time in his life when he was being pursued by enemies, and so he wrote this psalm. But the things that we find in Psalm 22 are in a nature prophetic because it talks about what Christ would do for us on the cross. And David wrote this talking about crucifixion, which that wasn't even known then. It was probably about a thousand years before Christ even stepped on the scene. So let's take a look at a few things from this psalm. Number one, Christ suffered on the cross for our salvation 
and God's glory. Look what it says here. Number one, he was forsaken by God. Look at Psalm 22, verse number one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? When Jesus was crucified, we read in the gospel accounts that darkness fell upon the land from about noon till about 3 p.m. And when Jesus cried out these words out of Psalm 22, 1, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We are faced with one of the mysteries of the gospel. Think about that. Jesus Christ, who was in perfect fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, in perfect fellowship with God the Father, is now being forsaken by God. That's a mystery. That's profound. That's, that's something that we can't even really grasp, the fact that Jesus Christ would be forsaken by his Father. And we know that Jesus bore God's curse upon wor on the world's sin and that somehow God in his holiness was forced to turn his back upon his own son. Because we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. For us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He bore God's wrath, which we deserved. God the Son was forsaken by God the Father. Now, no doubt, physical ag the physical agony from, from Jesus being on the cross was terrible. But even more than the physical agony was the spiritual agony that Jesus bore as he was being forsaken by God. We really don't understand that because we ourselves have not enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father. Only Jesus Christ has ever done that. We don't understand what it meant to, to share in his holy nature. We can't imagine what it was like for Jesus to become sin. But that's what happened on the cross. Look at the second thing that we find here in Psalm 22. Uh, verse number 2, it says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. We find that Jesus' prayers were not answered. Recall with me back when Christ was in the garden just hours before he was going to be led away to be crucified. And as he was there in the garden praying with such intensity, he's crying out to the Father. And one of the things that Jesus says as he prays for is deliverance from death. That if possible, this cup should pass from me. But yet he was not delivered from death. The only way that he was delivered from death was through the resurrection. Jesus had to encounter and go through the entire crucifixion. He had to die. Think about that. Christ, who was one with the Father, the one who had perfect fellowship with the Father, is now praying to his Father. And guess what the result is? Total silence from heaven. Not a word. And we find here in Psalm 22, too, as David writes prophetically about Christ, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. 
and by night, but I find no rest. How awful that must have been for Christ to cry out to the Father, only to have him not answer. Look at this next thing here we find. He was despised and mocked. Psalm 22 verses 6 through 8 says this, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Now don't miss this. This is just, this is just amazing what, what, what scripture says here. Look what he says here. Look how Christ says this. He says, but I am a worm. I am a worm. Christ calls himself a worm. Let that sink in. I am a worm, Christ says. A worm is an object of weakness and scorn. Can you imagine a sports team calling themselves the Worms? Right? What kind of sports teams do we have? We have the Bears. We have the Warriors. We have all these mighty names. But yet, what does Christ do? He calls himself a worm. More importantly is the type of worm that Christ calls himself. That word uh, worm there that is used is the type of insect that produces a scarlet color that was used as a dye when it is crushed. They use these dyes in fabricated food. In fact, here's a random useless fact that you might enjoy, literally, okay? Next time you read the ingredients on, on some food products, if you look on the back there and you see the, the ingredient that says red four, you know what that is? That's crushed up insects that they put in your food to give it a red coloring to it. So I hope you enjoy that. <laughs> Jesus was crushed so that his blood might cover our sins. In fact, that's what Isaiah 53 says. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. But from man's point of view, he was scorned and he was despised. Take a look at verses 7 and 8 again. Look what, uh, look what Scripture says here. All who see me mock me. They, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. In fact, these words describe the very exact reactions that we find at the scene of the cross as Christ is hanging there on the cross. The people that are passing by are, are, are saying things to Christ and these very exact words are recorded for us. And you can read it in Matthew chapter 27, verses, 9, uh, verses 39 through 43. And so they mocked his own claims of trust in God. Look at another thing that we find here about uh, this thing about Christ being crucified. Look at verses 12 through 13. He says, Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Christ is surrounded by violent men. 
His enemies are likened to ferocious animals. Look at the list. Bulls, lions, dogs. Look at uh, verse number 13. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Look at verse number 16. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. And so Christ says here, while he was hanging upon the cross, he felt as though he was being surrounded by violent animals. The Jewish rulers ridiculed and falsely accused him. And in all of it, Jesus chose with all that. He chose to suffer. Look at another thing here. Look at verses 14 through 18. It says, I am poured out like water and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. These verses here are just simply stunning and amazing because they put in detail exactly what would happen to Christ. And just as the Bible foretold of what would happen, it did happen exactly the way that God's word said it would happen. In reality, this just really proves the, the reliability of God's word, that it came from God, that it was inspired, and that we can trust in it, we can believe in it. Look what some of these things that he says here. Verse 14, he says he's been poured out like water. It points to the excessive perspiration caused by the suffering plus the feeling of weakness as life slowly left Christ's body. It's being poured out like water. Just like if you take a giant pitcher and start pouring out water and it starts to empty all of its contents out. That's what Christ says. He says, I'm being poured out like water while he was on the cross. And no doubt that's why Jesus cried out. He said, I, what, thirst. Look what he also says, verse 14. He says, his heart is like wax and it melted. The heart was struggling to supply blood to all of its extremities. Look what else he says, verse 15. He says, strength dried up like a potsherd. His tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth. A potsherd is a broken piece of pottery. And he says, my strength is like a broken piece of pottery. There's no good to it. It's weak. There's no use of it. And there's weakness now as his life was coming to an end. There's now extreme thirst as his body was dehydrated while he was there on the cross. Look what he says, verse 15. He says, dust of death. Dust of death. He is all but dead. Look at verse 16, he's surrounded by evil men at the scene of the cross. His enemies waited for his death. They were, they were just looking and waiting for him to die. Verse 16, we cannot help but not overlook this. Pierced hands and feet. In fact, crucifixion was not even known uh, the time that this psalm was written. In fact, it was a, it was a, it was a means of, of, of torture that the Phoenicians used, and then it was later adopted by the Romans, and the Romans perfected it to an exact science the way that they did it. And he says, my hands were, were pierced, my feet were pierced. 
Look at verse 17. He says, they count all my bones and people stare. The gathering crowd that was there at the scene of the cross could see Jesus' body on full display. They would strip him of everything. Here is Jesus hanging there naked in full view of a crowd, and that's what they saw. They see everything of who Jesus was. Look at verse 18. They divide my garments and cast lots for my clothing. This was a specific prophecy that actually did come true at the foot of the cross. There were soldiers that gambled for the clothes of Jesus after they stripped him of his, of his, of his coat and his clothing. They were there gambling, shooting the dice so that they could get his clothes. Now this is just a glimpse of Christ's suffering as seen prophetically by David a thousand years before Christ. And it's in his suffering that Jesus paid for our salvation. But also his suffering shows us something else. It teaches us how we are to be able to respond to suffering. So let's look at the second thing here. Our response to Christ's suffering. How should I respond to Christ and his suffering? How does that make me follow Christ more? How should that encourage my heart to know that when there are times of suffering in my life, when there are times of uncertainty, when it seems like uh, heaven is shut up and I'm not hearing any types of, of, of answer back from heaven as I pray to my Father, how am I supposed to respond when I think about Christ? Well, here's a few things. Number one, my sin was great and Christ's love is greater. You see, it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. His love made him willing to go there. We hear about it in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to make it personal, I believe, in our own life. It was my sin which put Jesus on the cross. Sometimes I think it's very easy for us, even myself included, to look, start looking at our lives as if, well, you know what? I didn't really do as, as, as much gross sin as those other sinners do, or I'm not really as bad of a sinner as those other people are. My dear friend, let me tell you something. Just the one sin in your life, whether it be lying whether it be of pride, whether it be of blasphemy, is enough to send you to hell for all of eternity. And sometimes we look at our sin as though as if it's not really that bad. But the more that I grow as a Christian, the more I discover how utterly wicked my heart is, the way to holiness is not thinking more highly of myself, but rather realizing more how sinful I am, which should drive me more to the cross and cling to God's salvation because of what he has done for me. You see, it's not a popular message in our day to emphasize our sinfulness. We want an upbeat message. We want to hear something that, you know, makes us feel good. You know, it kind of really gives us some pep. One of Isaac Watts' hymns got it right when he wrote, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? 
If Christ called himself a worm and was crushed, in reality, we are the worms. We are the ones that deserve to be crushed. Church, we need to be very careful not to be exalting ourselves against the Lord. And if we think that we're a pretty good person, that God just had to give us just a little push to get us into heaven, you really won't love Jesus very much. Luke 7, 47, Jesus said, He who is forgiven little, loves little. And so when we recognize the truth that we were lost in our rebellion against God and that he saved us from hell in spite of our awful sin and forgiven much, our response should be to that, that we will love him more. We will love him much. Secondly, how should we respond to Christ's suffering? Submit and trust God when he permits suffering to come into my life, when he, when he permits suffering to come into your life. Look again at Psalm 22, especially in verse number 15. Look what Jesus says here. He says, my strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Who was it that laid Christ down in the dust of death? It was God. God did that. That was his predetermined plan. Even though evil and wicked men put him on the cross and crucified him, it was still the Father's plan, predetermined plan, a sovereign plan that he would lay Christ down in the dust of death. In fact, Acts chapter 2 verse 23 tells us this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was the sovereign plan of God which put Christ on the cross. And how did Christ respond to this predetermined plan? Did he shake his fist at God and say, look what you've done. Look at my life. It's a mess now. Look how you ruined my life. I had everything going for me. Look, I was performing miracles and I was healing people. Look what you've done. No, that's not how he responded. Look how Christ responds to the Father's plan. Christ, knowing full well of God's plan for his awful suffering, Look how he responds. Look at uh, Psalm 22, verse number 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. He recalls God's faithfulness with others in the past and even in his own experiences. Look at Psalm 22, verses 4 through 5. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Look at verses 9 through 10. He says, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. And he calls out, in faith to God for deliverance. Look at verses 19 through 21. He says, But you, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. He says, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. 
And so how do you respond? How do I respond when there is suffering that comes into our life? How do we respond when trials or difficulties come in our life? How do we respond when fear grips our heart? Do we shake our fist at God and say, look what you've done. Look what you've messed up for my life. Hebrews 12.3 teaches us, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose hearts. Jesus endured by entrusting himself into the hands of a loving, sovereign God. Jesus has given us a perfect example of what to do. Since he suffered and trusted God, so should we. In times of uncertainty, we trust God. In times of suffering, we trust God. In times of great fear, we trust God. Why? Because Jesus gave us that perfect example to do that. We must remember that God is controlling all of this. We must remember that God is in control. And if God used a suffering Savior to show His love for us, then we too can trust Him. Thirdly, trust God even when your prayers are not answered. If you remember, Jesus prayed for deliverance, but God didn't answer him. God did answer him, however, though, in the resurrection. But Jesus had to go through the crucifixion and death before he received an answer to his prayers. And yet he continued to call to God. Remember Psalm 22, 1, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Psalm 22, verse number 10, he says here, on you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. He calls him my help in verse number 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. He's praying, he's praying, he's praying. But yet, there's no answer to that prayer. We must remember that God knows when and how to answer our prayers. It may not be when we want it or how we want it, but he knows the best way to speak to us. But we have to trust him as our God, even though we may not understand the circumstances. Perhaps there might be someone here that needs reassuring of these words of this psalm today. I don't know, but I want to encourage you, don't fear. Don't act like the world. Don't be in fear. Don't act running around and, and acting like, oh, we don't know what we're going to do. God's in control. And he gives us this picture of a suffering Savior, Jesus Christ, to help us understand that we too can trust in God, that we too can rely upon God because of what he did through Christ. Jesus endured the worst suffering that has ever been known, and it was all predetermined by the Father. And so you can trust in God and his word. Even if you are going through trials and even if your prayers don't seem to be being answered right at this moment.